so the Bible reading comes from John 14, 1 to 14, which is 1022 in your Bibles. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. My father's house has plenty of room. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you, take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you, where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to me to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who can, has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the words themselves. Very truly, I tell you, all who have faith in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in the name, and I will do it. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Thanks, Emma. Over to you. Uh, thanks very much, Becky. Do keep your Bible uh, or your phone, however you're accessing the Bible, um, open in front of you. I just wanted to say we didn't choose this reading specially for today. We'd already chosen this before the events of this week. So uh, it turns out this is the word of the Lord to us. So let's just pray, shall we, that we'll really hear it. Um, Jesus, in whom we see the Father's face in all his glory and his love, we humble ourselves and bow before you now. May your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and the Father's glory our supreme concern. For we ask it in your name, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So it has been, um, for many of us in this Christian community, quite a week, hasn't it? And as I say, um, a week in which our prayer practices, and including the Facebook prayer page, have been active like never before, as we've followed the events with Jill, and actually not just Jill, but others in our family, and it just, if I can try and name this, it just seems to me a lot of us are feeling um, distracted and disturbed all the time, uh, maybe angry, uh, all of those emotions that are actually part of grief um, in one form or another are, are around us. And as I say, um, Jill is by no means the only one in this church family who is in what we might call a waiting time. Um, just as Rob and the family are spending most of their lives at the moment in, you know, the, these hospital waiting rooms that you have in intensive care units. They're in that waiting room 
And this time, as I say, is about us being faithful and loving and waiting for them and with them in Christ. And there are others in our church who in different ways are waiting, either at the end of life or through serious treatment or for other things. And the stature of waiting in Christ is something very special indeed. The stature of waiting. Jesus himself, if you think about it, after all the activity of his three-year ministry, all the teaching and all the miracles, finished his life with a week of waiting. This very scripture that we're going to look at is the beginning of that waiting time at that last supper. And he's waiting there with his disciples. And if you just think for a minute, you will see, you will know that that waiting time actually became the most profound time of learning for all of them, this wonderful teaching in this part of John's Gospel. But not just a time of learning, actually the time of Jesus' greatest work, his greatest miracle was in this difficult waiting time as things flip round in his ministry. So instead of being kind of initiating everything and doing everything and being in charge, he became passive. He did nothing. They did it all to him. And what I want to kind of get across is it's not just that because Jesus did that, he, let's use the word, he sanctifies our experience when we're waiting, waiting. But actually, this was his moment of his greatest ministry in the apparent helplessness and the apparent defeat of the cross, which is the moment of his greatest victory and the resurrection. And this is a time when it was all done to him. And that's just like our lives, isn't it? Especially when, you know, when, you, when you're in a hospital and they're prodding you and pulling you, and it, it's exactly that. They're doing stuff to you. And Jesus Christ is profoundly at work in these times, in the waiting time. And so this is the word of the Lord that we need to hear today in John 14, and we'll be looking at three different bits of this if you've got your Bible. But the word we need to hear is there in the first verse. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust also in God. Trust in me in the waiting time. We need to absorb that word like a thirsty plant drinking in its water. In our minds, intellectually, and in our hearts emotionally this morning. And so in the middle of all the questions and emotions we have when something shakes us, the good news in this passage is that as a Christian community, we can take to heart good news in three 
dimensions, and that's what I'd like to just lead us through now. So the first dimension is there in verses 1 and 2. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Why? Because my Father's house has plenty of room. I am going there to prepare a place for you. Now, this scripture is familiar to many of us from funerals. But that's not quite the whole meaning of those verses we've just read. Verse 1 and 2 are variously translated, my house has many rooms, like in the NIV. In my father's house there are many mansions. Have you heard that one? That's the King James Version. In my father's house there are many dwelling places. The New American Standard Bible. And in what I think might be Jill Freeman's own favorite, um, it's not quite a translation, it's a paraphrase of Scripture, the message, it goes like this. Don't let this throw you. You trust God, don't you? Can you hear Jill's voice saying that? And Jesus says, trust me. There's plenty of room for you in my father's home. If that weren't so, would I have told you that I'm on my way to get a room ready for you? That's a lovely kind of domestic image, isn't it? But in this passage, a room, you know, it's not like the travel lodge, I don't think we're talking about here. It's a dwelling place. The Greek word behind room is meno, meno, from which we get the English word remain. So it's a place where you remain or abide. Literally, an abode, an abiding dwelling place, which is neither temporary nor transitory. And that word for room or abiding place is used twice, only twice, in the whole of the New Testament. Both times by Jesus and both times in John chapter 14. So there in verse 2, the verse we looked at, Clearly, this is the good news of heaven. My father's house has plenty of rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and I'll come back and to take, take you with me so that where I am, you can be too. That is the heavenly place of permanent and abiding dwelling. But there's another sense in which Jesus uses the same word. It's in the same chapter. We didn't hear it. So look in your Bible at John 14, verse 23. Where Jesus says, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Make our home with them. It's the same word. Make our abode, our abiding and permanent individual dwelling with them. And that's not about the good news of heaven. That's the good news of now. For all of us who are in Christ. And Jesus is saying there, he and his father 
And actually, this is in a whole section where Jesus is beginning to talk about the Holy Spirit. So it's actually the Father and the Son, through the Spirit, come and make their home with us and in us, and us in them. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, says Jesus in our Scripture. And do you see, this is so wonderful. This is the good news that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a community of indwelling, homely love. And the gospel is that this God pours himself out in love and opens his life in love to us and welcomes us in to this family, this community, this love that God is. And that is what is happening through Jesus, through the cross, through the empty tomb. And that's not the good news of heaven only, it's the good news of now. And that is a win-win, is it not, for us. It's the win-win of the gospel for our sister Jill, for her family, for all who in any way are waiting between life and death in all the waiting rooms of whatever kind we pass through in our lives. Either way, for us, there is only Christ. And this is the clear message of the New Testament. Paul in Romans 14, verse 8. If we live... We live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Or again in Philippians 1, verse 21, Paul says, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And that's the perspective we need in order to wait well to love each other well, to pray well, and to strengthen each other in the Lord at a time such as this. That's the base note in our prayer, if you like. There is no defeat to be had here, only more of him. Even as we push through and pray as we're invited to for Jill's recovery, that's our context and our framework. The second aspect of the good news here in this passage is to do with what I think of as our grip on reality. The truth, if you like. Our knowledge of God and of God's character in an uncertain world. And if you're feeling angry or disturbed or worse, you know, in, in a sense, it's okay Because here you've got Thomas and Philip with their questions and uncertainty. They're standing in here for us. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we possibly know the way, Thomas? Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us, Philip. And I think just sometimes when bad things happen to good people, we can kind of be 
kind of yanked back, tempted back to the world's way of seeing things. What have they done to deserve this? You hear that, don't you? As if bad things are some kind of punishment. Or if not that, why is God not answering our prayers? As if we know what is best, as if like we're telling God's stuff about what is best, or even worse, twisting the arm of a reluctant God. That can't be right, can it? But it's how we feel, isn't it? And God knows that. But the good news here is that in Jesus, we have seen the Father. As we look into Jesus' face, we see all that we need to know about God. Don't you know, Philip, he says, if you've been with me all this time and the penny's not dropped, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And actually that is important because it means there's no other God kind of hiding behind Jesus' back. An indifferent God. A judging God. A reluctant God. What you see in Jesus is what you get in God. It's like when we make eye contact with someone we know. And when we do that, we see the truth of them, don't we? And they see you as you truly are. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. I think we all need to remind ourselves of that great Christian truth from time to time. I need to remind myself of this as I try to get ready to leave this wonderful, loving, praying Christian family who have made God real for me over 23 years. I'm going to a role where I'm really not sure where I'll find that kind of stuff. I don't get a church with it. So who is God for me? Well, he's exactly as I see him in the face of Jesus. And do I trust Jesus? Yes, I do. So do I trust God? Yes, I do. We know God in Christ. We've learned he abides in us permanently and personally. We know him because of who he is in Jesus. This is good news we also need to hear. And then just the third aspect of good news in this passage is to do with that most difficult and challenging of subjects. Prayer. Prayer. It's in verses 12 to 14. Very I too, truly I tell you, says Jesus, 
all who have faith in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. That's part one. I haven't got a lot of time for that, but greater works than these. I don't believe it means more spectacular stuff than Jesus did. I think the clue is in because I'm going to the Father. Because I'm going to the Father, I can send my spirit on you. My spirit is alive and active and at work in you and through your prayers. Not just there through him now, but through all God's people across the world. Greater in extent. But it goes on. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now at this time, one way or another, we're praying and praying and praying, aren't we? It's the season of prayer for our church. We had 40 days of the shift. We've now begun the shift too, every Sunday morning early on. We're going to do a thing called Thy Kingdom Come between Ascension and Pentecost. Again, early morning. But whatever you ask for in my name is the key. What does that mean? What does that mean? Now, Jesus knows what to pray because he's in the Father and the Father is in him. He just told us that. He knows the Father's heart. And that's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. It means to pray according to the Father's heart. And all true prayer is praying according to the Father's heart. And if you like, all prayer is prayer in the Spirit because the Spirit knows the heart of God and prays through us. His prayer is the prayer that wells up in us as we pray. And sometimes we can't find words for that. Paul describes that as wordless groans. I think there's been a lot of groaning going on. So prayer is not persuading God to change his mind or, you know, to do something he really didn't want to do. It's praying in the Spirit. For me, it goes like, Lord... If life and life in all its fullness for Jill means you healing her now so she can live in the land of the living here, then let it be so. And we pray and pray and pray for her recovery. But it also includes that base note, Lord, if life and life in all its fullness now for Jill means life with you in that abiding heavenly dwelling place. I'm going to pray that too. And I think this also is good news for us. It means that when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, that's not a cop-out prayer in any way. It's a deep and loving praying in the Spirit as God reveals his best purposes to us.
And so that's the good news within that passage that I wanted to share this morning. Obviously, it's time to stop. At the start, Becky got us to proclaim the risen Christ again. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Another way of getting hold of what I've just said is to ask, where do we think the risen Jesus is right now? Do we think the resurrection was a kind of one-time miracle to prove that Jesus was who he said he was? Or have we got this good news that his resurrection shows us what is happening now and all the time for those who abide in Christ? So that where Jesus is, we are. Where our loved ones are, Jesus is. Where Jill and Rob are, Jesus is. In all our waiting rooms, Jesus is. He's our present and our future. He is our way, our truth, and our life. In his face, we see all of God. And what we see is love and only love. Amen.